the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And so in addition to my JD, I'm also the master of laws of a couple of areas of specialization. And that is to say, I'm a master of the taxation laws, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of my great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, located in the beautiful downtown San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experience, but most importantly, my lifelong interest, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I sometimes have an opportunity to seek out and at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of some of the more pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that can wipe out a life's worth of income in a matter of minutes. So I'm coming to you again today from my makeshift studios in the beautiful city of Oakland to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again preface my remarks by stating that this show does not provide any legal advice nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help to help you with your matter. I do this because it is my firm belief that representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky, you can get real close to your adversary and you might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, because everyone else in the courtroom dealing with your matter will either be a lawyer him or herself or be represented by one. As such, you standing there alone with your butter life will likely cause your valid claims and righteous defenses to be dead on arrival 
That is to say, they will likely see the promised land way before you do. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts, in this non-threatening forum. And inasmuch as I am a practicing attorney and an imperfect person of faith, I have and will continue to use this platform to bring important news and information about the intersection of the law and religion that I believe might be helpful to the members of our various and diverse religious communities throughout the Bay Area, our great but flawed nation, and this beautiful planet that the center of the universe placed here for us to use and to provide stewardship. So it is in that capacity as an imperfect person of faith and a legal researcher and a wannabe legal scholar that I feel the need to discuss what's going on all around us in the towns and villages, cities large and small across America, but also around the world. And of course, I'm talking about what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement for political, social, and economic justice, and the protection for all of us from the abusive tactics of some of the police that was sparked by the recent events surrounding the death of George Floyd. It happened in broad daylight by the police in Minneapolis on May 25th, 2020. Now, as I've said before, this movement appears to be so powerful that people of all races, ages, and socioeconomic strata feel compelled to participate in, in person, in crowds, with and without masks, and even in the face of the scourge and the potential death sentence of COVID-19. As such, this is a real moment, and it's a moment that I don't believe any of us can let get by. And as a result of this moment, this movement, the show I did a few weeks ago on why Black lives should matter to all Christians, I heard from many of you out there in radio land who want to know a little bit more about me and my background and my values as a person and what inspires me. And, you know, I thought that was sweet. But you got to know, believe it or not, even though I'm on the radio each week and I go into courtrooms ready to fight the battles for my clients, I'm a very introverted person and I usually don't talk very much about myself. Although I must say, and I must bear witness that I've been blessed abundantly so for which I'm truly grateful. So I guess this is a price that I have to pay. But because this show is airing on the 4th of July, America's birthday, I thought it would be okay to take a break from our ongoing discussions of bankruptcy and COVID-19 and crazy politicians and court decisions to take a little bit of time to get to know each other a little bit better. I guess the most significant thing that ever happened to me happened to me when I was a four-year-old little black American princess, a military brat living on Fort Bragg. One of the many military installations named after one of 
the many traitors who fought against the United States in the Civil War. And I was an all-around daddy's girl, just living the life. When my whole world came crashing down around me, when my parents decided to break up, how dare they? So to me, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. Although at the time, I could not articulate how I felt so well as Mr. Dickens, even to myself, but I felt that way nonetheless. One of the things that made it the best of times was the fact that my parents had the great sense to pack my older brother and me off to stay first with my mother's mother in the District of Columbia, and then on to my father's parents in the deep, dark, segregated South, that is to say Mississippi, while they sorted out how they would live apart and support each other and us, their children, as best they could. So even though we were living in the deep, dark heart of Dixie, I was never led to believe that I was in any way inferior because my grands, and they truly were grand, and our extended family kept me in an envelope and a cradle of love such that I was never exposed to overt racism that permeated the town they lived in. And in hindsight, I know they and every other Black person must have felt it each and every day. So way down south was, in fact, where I began my education in the segregated school system where my grands, and I must say again, they were truly grand, because they instilled in me the fact that I, along with the rest of my race, was special. And because I was special, great things were expected of me. First and foremost was to be a good student and get a great education. And you know, the segregated school where I attended kindergarten was great. My black teachers were very smart and demanding, even on me when I was in kindergarten because they too told me I was special, such that when my mother moved us out to San Francisco when I was in first grade, it was the first integrated school I went to at age five. As such, I was able to expel, expel, (laughs) excel. (laughs) Well, when we come back, I'll share a little bit more about my upbringing and what's important to me. But first, a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to this special edition of Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of what's important to me on this day, America's birthday, as I share a little bit about my background. Now, before the break, I broached the subject of my move from the segregated South in Mississippi 
to the beautiful city of San Francisco when I was just five and a half years old. And while I loved my new city and my new friends of all races and creeds and my wonderful teachers of all races and creeds, the one thing I missed most about moving to the city by the bay was I missed singing the Negro National Anthem. And, you know, back in those days in the, in the 60s, we were Negroes. We weren't African-Americans. We weren't Black. We were Negroes. And, you know, when I was a youngster down in Mississippi, each and every day at the start of school, we all said the Pledge of Allegiance. We listened to the Star Spangled Banner and sang, or shall I say, I attempted to sing the Negro National Anthem. The first time I ever heard the anthem was at a special assembly that was held at the segregated high school where my dad and my uncle had attended school and played football before they graduated and went off to an historically black college and then on to the military. Now, because black men of my dad's generation basically only had four fields of endeavor open to them, they could be a teacher or they could be a preacher or they could be a well-educated farmer if their family owned land or they could go into the military and live the life of Audie, Audie Murphy and uh, Sergeant York. And those of you who um, know about the military know who I'm talking about. My dad and my uncle were influenced by the movies and they wanted to be war heroes like, um, like those two gentlemen. And that's what my dad and his younger brother did do. They joined the army. Well, first, my dad was a Marine. He was one of the first African-American Marines. And um, he <laughs> they didn't train him very well in the Marines. So when his enlistment went up, he transferred to the Army, where he did very, very well. But, you know, that's a, a story for another day. Uh, getting back to the Negro National Anthem, the first time I ever really heard it sung properly was when Leontine Price came to town and gave a special concert for all the children. Now, for those of you who don't know who Leontine Price is, her name is Mary Violet Leontine Price, and she was born on February the 10th, 1927, and gratefully is still with us today. She is, in case you didn't know it, an American soprano. She was born and raised in Laurel, Mississippi, not too far from where my grandparents live. She rose to international acclaim in the 50s and 60s. And do you know she was the first African-American to become a leading performer at the Metropolitan Opera and one of the most popular American classical singers of her generation. Among her many honors and awards are the Presidential Medal of Freedom that she got in 1964, the Spring Arm Medal in 1965, the Kennedy Center Honors in 1980, the National Medal of the Arts in 1985, and numerous honorary degrees, 19 Grammy Awards for operatic and song recitals and full operas and a Lifetime Achievement Award, more than any other classical singer. 
In 2008, she was among the first recipients of the Opera Honors by the National Endowment of the Arts. And in 2019, last year, Ms. Price was awarded an honorary degree from the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. Now, when I heard her sing, when I was four and a half, I had never heard anything so beautiful as Ms. Price's voice as she sang the Negro National Anthem and the other beautiful songs in her recital. The first I had ever heard of such music. To me, it was both beautiful and frightening to my five-year-old self. I tried to find a recording of her rendition of the anthem, but I couldn't find one that was crystal clear. However, I did find a rendition by an a cappella group known as Committed. And these are some young men who graduated from a historically black college in uh, Alabama, and they won one of those uh, talent shows. And they have a beautiful harmonic voice that makes the anthem really come to life. So I would urge you all to both seek out Ms. Price's version of the anthem. And again, the group is committed and they have a beautiful rendition as well. Now, Lift Every Voice and Sing is actually a poem by James Weldon Johnson and his brother. Uh, James wrote the song in 1900 and his brother, Jay Roseman Johnson, put it to music five years later. Now, Lift Every Voice and Sing was first publicly performed as a poem, and it was part of the celebration of Abraham Lincoln's birthday in 1900, again, uh, written by James Johnson. In 1919, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP. So we went from being Negroes to being colored, or was it vice versa? And it was dubbed the Negro National Anthem. Now, it was done so for the power in voicing a cry for liberation and affirmation for the African-American people. Now, the song slash poem is a prayer of thanksgiving and faithfulness and freedom with imagery invoking the biblical exodus from slavery to the freedom of the promised land. And the promised land happens to be America, the America that blacks dreamed of, hoped of, and prayed for. Now, Lift Every Voice and Sing is featured in 39 different Christian hymnals And it's sung now in churches all across America, but not in schools. But as I said earlier, in my youth, it was sung in black schools across the segregated South and the start of the school day and at every major event and celebration in the black community. So my treat to you all as we celebrate this Independence Day in 2020 at a time and place where we as a united people try to understand each other and what it means to be a black person in this great land, I want to share with you a bit of this great poem. I can't sing, so I'm not even gonna try, but I want you to listen to the words of the poem slash lyrics. 
It goes, lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed. We have come over a way with the tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out of the gloomy past till we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has bought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the place, our God, where we met thee, lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee, shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land, <laughs> America. So happy birthday, America. So I'm going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, the law of good-natured friendship, progress, and unity. Till next time, again, happy birthday, America. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 